Hey, if you want to, open up your Bibles to Isaiah 61. I have a word for us this morning, something I want to dig into for the next few weeks. I want to talk to you this morning about the future of our region. It's going to be a bit of a different message for us this morning, and in the coming weeks be a bit of a different type of series that I normally work on. Some things are really close to my heart, but probably some things we don't typically talk about at church. So I want to dig into that. Um, while you guys are getting there, I've got a question for the room. Um, how, many of you gla- how many of you guys are glad that the elections are over? Thank you, Jesus. And aren't you glad we weren't in a battleground state? Yeah. Um, how many of you, let me ask another question. How many of you were on Facebook on Wednesday? Wasn't it awesome? <laughs> Wasn't it just killer? Facebook on Wednesday was awesome. Yeah, it was absolutely a mess. Um, one of the things I picked up on Wednesday, in terms of uh, just trolling around Facebook, one of the things that was revealed to us is that people in America have placed their hope in Washington. Not only have people in America placed their hope in Washington, but believers in America have placed their hope in Washington. How do we know that? We know that because you just get on Facebook on Wednesday and there's so much despair, disappointment, anger, and joy, depending on whose candidate was elected. Like if you're that sad on Wednesday, what that tells us is, is that you've placed your hope in Washington. If you're super happy on Wednesday, what that also tells us is that you have placed your hope in Washington. Now, I want to talk about that just for a little bit. I want you to follow me here. Um, one of the reasons that people have put so much of their trust and hope in Washington is because it abdicates us from personal responsibility. I'm convinced that the reason we put hope in Washington is it allows us to take our own personal responsibility out of the mix. Now, I want you to follow me for a second. This is the way this logic sort of works. The president is the highest leader in America. The highest leader has the most authority. And as Christians, we need to make sure that the highest leader with the most authority is a Christian. That's what we've all begun to believe. But I feel confident that something more is going on. And for starters, I think one of the reasons that we do this sort of intellectual math and these sort of logical hurdles is because we want someone else to use their authority. And the higher the authority, the better. Because the higher the authority, the further we are from engaging in personal responsibility. I hope this makes sense. We, we want to put our hope in Washington because in Washington there's the perception of the highest authority and it has the added benefit of being furthest away from me and my own responsibility. I would like to vote because it's easier to vote than it is to take responsibility. See, in America, it's easier to give away authority than it is to take responsibility. In America, as believers, it's easier to vote than it is to take responsibility. And by the way, authority and responsibility always go together. How many parents we have in the room? Parents, mothers, fathers, how many of you realize you have authority over your children and that means you are responsible for them? So we have this division in our own minds that we will, that we will give authority in Washington and it releases me from my responsibility. And I want to tell you, that is a lie and a deception from the enemy. 
See, it's easier to vote against abortion and for the traditional family values than it is to become responsible for loving our gay neighbors as ourselves and adopting children and loving single mothers being the solution. I find it ironic that the party of small government that most Christians vote with consistently looks to big government to solve solutions that only Jesus and his people have. The party of small government that most believers vote with consistently looks to Washington to solve abortion and to solve traditional family values. And I want to tell you, if you put your hopes there, you will always be disappointed. It's the wrong place for them. And we do it because I don't have to be responsible. I find it ironic that the Republican Party is the party of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and earn your way through life. But everyone who's sitting here is here because you didn't get what you deserved. I find it ironic that the Republican Party is the party of personal responsibility, make your way and earn your way in life. And most believers vote with that party, yet you're here because Jesus gave you what you didn't deserve. It's getting heavy. It's going to get heavier. And then it's going to get way better. Okay? Hang with me. But just so you don't believe that this is some sort of find a Republican philosophy and punch it in the face fest, I want you to understand something about our current leadership. Our current leadership will have to answer for things before the Lord, just like every administration will. And one of the things our current administration will have to answer for is taking money and funding abortion. And by the way, a money, abortion is not a philosophical issue. It's murder. Okay? And when a nation loses its soul, and when a nation loses its moral compass on things like life, you can be sure that we'll get lost in the woods without a map. It's ironic to me that we call bacteria that lives on Mars life, but we call a baby inside of a mother's womb a fetus and we can kill it. It's ironic. And in light of all of this, the first thing I need to tell you guys this morning is I'm completely filled with hope. And it's not fake hope. I'm completely filled with hope. Here's why I'm filled with hope. Because I have never put my hope in Washington. Ever. I have never put my hope in the Republican Party. I didn't put my hope in George Bush 1 and Ronald Reagan or George Bush 2. I didn't put my hope in Barack Obama or Bill Clinton or anyone who will come after him. I'm filled with hope because my hope is in a person who actually is the highest authority in America. And his name is Jesus and he has good intentions toward our country. I'm filled with hope because I personally believe there is a great wave of the Holy Spirit that is about to hit our country. Like we're, we are like so in the crosshairs of the Holy Spirit. There, it's like a tsunami tidal wave. And I think we've actually experienced a couple waves before. And they've, we're in this period right now where they're out and it's about to come back in. Anybody ever been to the beach and you go out and you get tossed by a wave? And about the time you get your footing, the other one comes and crushes you. Anybody here ever been rolled? Yeah, I, I, I personally believe that the entire, the entire 50 states of America is about to get rolled. I'm filled with hope. 
So I want to read some scripture to you this morning out of Isaiah 61, and then we're going to jump to another passage as well. Really famous piece of scripture. This is the beginning of Jesus' own preaching ministry. He read this in his hometown and gave his first sermon, and this is the way it goes. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This was Jesus' first sermon. And I think it was his first sermon for a lot of reasons. This is a snapshot of what the Holy Spirit does when he moves in the earth. It is a snapshot of what the Holy Spirit has been doing since Jesus first read his sermon and began his ministry all the way through time up to now. It is a snapshot of what the Holy Spirit did through Jesus. It is a snapshot of what the Holy Spirit did through the apostles. It is a snapshot of what the Holy Spirit did through the early church. It is a snapshot of what the Holy Spirit has done through the middle church. It is a snapshot of what the Holy Spirit has done through the reformers like John Hess and John Calvin and Every person who laid their life down, men and women who were burned at the stake because they believed that you could be saved. It's a snapshot of what the Holy Spirit does. It's a snapshot of what the Holy Spirit was doing in the Great Awakening and revivals like that happened with Evan Roberts in, the, in Wales. It was a snapshot of what the Holy Spirit does in Azusa Street in 1903 and 1904 in Los Angeles. It's a snapshot of what the Holy Spirit has done in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. Some of us know about that. Like we have... We have fountains of revival that rest in our own territory. Things that the Holy Spirit is doing, has done, and wants to do. This is what the Lord does. What does the Lord do when He shows up in an area with people? Well, it's very simple. He gives them garments of praise instead of despair. Everyone who's heavy gets a light burden. He gives joy instead of despair. He opens blind eyes. There's healing when the Holy Spirit shows up. Good news gets preached to the poor. The lost get found, the sick are healed, the oppressed are set free. And by oppressed, I mean oppressed by devils. People who are oppressed by demonic spirits, demonic agendas, and demonic institutions get set free. It's just what the Lord does. And then the sad and the dry are filled with joy. See, when the kingdom comes, there's a confrontation and inferior kingdoms are revealed to be just that, inferior. And one of the things I've noticed out of this passage that I just read to you guys is that most of us stop reading too soon. We stop at verse 3, but it just keeps flowing. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit is emphasizing right now is actually verse 4. Verse 1 through 3 are absolutely true, but but what the Holy Spirit is emphasizing right now is verse 4. Look at this. 
They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. See, most of us have an interpretation and a definition of revival that includes 1 through 3, but we don't have an interpretation of revival that includes verse 4. And verse 4 is the kind of revival that the Holy Spirit is releasing into America. It is a revival that hits on Main Street more than it does in here. In fact, it's one of the reasons why here at the Vineyard for the past five years, we have consistently seen more happen out there than happen in here. Why? Because what's on the Father's heart is verse 4. Rebuilding ancient ruins, restoring places long devastated for generations. And here's one of the things I want you to realize this morning about Campbellsville, about Taylor County, and about Central Kentucky in general. Uh, you need to realize that our region is devastated. Some of us are like, devastated? What do you mean? It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's awesome, but it's devastated. And it's one of the reasons that I consistently encourage people in my church to go see great things. The reason you need to go to see great things is you can't do great things unless you see great things. And one of the things that's happened to people in our region is most of us don't actually believe that there's anything wrong in Taylor County and Campbellsville. We actually think it's okay. It's kind of like children who grow up with angry alcoholic fathers. Dad drinks a few too many beers, goes into rage mode, punches a hole inside the, the wall of the house, and if he's really mad, maybe he beats up on mom a little bit. And if you grow up in a house like that, you think it's normal until you spend the night with another kid, and you go over and you find out that her dad is sweet, and he takes him out for ice cream, and he like throws baseball with him. And then you go home, and you're crushed not just by the fact that your dad is an alcoholic and is really angry, but you just found out that's not normal. Well, the first thing I want to tell you right now is that Campbellsville is devastated. It lies, it lays in ruins. If you don't believe me, you need to travel more. See, right now in Campbellsville, our region is being held hostage by drug abuse, especially prescription drugs. There are people in the room right now who whose entire lives are held hostage by prescription drugs. Some of you are here, and Jesus isn't angry. He wants to set you free. People's lives are being held hostage by prescription drugs in our town. Every single day, the only thought is, how can I get another Lord tab? I need another Lord tab. You know, I just need one. And by the way, I'm allowed to have one because the doctor says I can have one. It's, it's reinforced. It's really, it's a ruling spirit here in our town. Our region is under the influence of pornography and sexual promiscuity. In fact, when I meet a young man who's under the age of 35, unless I hear otherwise from him, I just assume that he's dealing with pornography. You're like, Adam, that's really judgmental. Okay, come into my office and sit in my chair for a while. And by the way, Jesus isn't angry. He's really happy and he wants to set you free. Pornography and sexual deviation is ruling in our region. It's, and it's destroying families. And some of us think that it's normal. It's not normal. There's something else. Not only that, but the one that really controls everything in our region is poverty and a poverty spirit. In fact, drug abuse, pornography, and promiscuity, they're just really the outgrowth and the manifestations of a poverty spirit and a sense of lack. 
Some of us in the room are actually dealing not just with poverty in terms of a spirit, but you're dealing with real poverty, like you don't have anything. And by the way, when you don't have anything, if your hope isn't anchored in Jesus, after a while, when you don't have anything, it alters your brain chemistry. You start thinking different thoughts. You'll know you're under the influence of a poverty spirit when you have no hope for the future. When you begin to get hope in your heart and in your life and it becomes the kind of hope that says, I want to do something new, I want to make something new, I want to be something new. And as soon as you have that thought, something else comes in and says, shut up, you're not going to do that. That's a poverty spirit. It's the assumption that good things will never happen to me. It's the assumption that I can never be a player. It's the assumption that that I'm weak and that I can never be an agent for change. It's the assumption that good stuff will happen to someone else. And it's the assumption that all I need is just enough to get by. And in fact, some of us after a while begin to settle into that. Uh, Just enough to get by. We become completely comfortable just enough to get by. I personally think it's no accident that Main Street in our own town is coming back to life. I also think it's no accident that Main Street in our town is coming back to life mostly by people who are sitting in this room. It's actually a prophetic sign from the Father, and He's saying, this is where I'm at work. All of that was a bit of an introduction. And what I really want to share with you this morning is out of the book of Proverbs. I want to talk about... I want to talk about having a hope for the future of our region. And I want to talk about a really practical way to begin to deal with the poverty spirit and the poverty scenario that ruins and rules our region. Okay? It's out of Proverbs chapter 11. I want to talk about, I really want to talk about radical generosity this morning. It's one of our banners. It's one of our core values. Turn to Proverbs chapter 11. I want to read a couple verses. I want to read verse 10 and 11. And then they're going to set us up for the verses that I really want to key in on this morning. This is what it says. Verse 10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Honky tonk. It's all good. There's no shame here at the the vineyard. Verse 10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. I love verse 10. It says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. I love that word rejoice because it points to us that there's exponential power in righteousness that leads to prosperity. Rejoice means joy again. So when the, when the righteous, when people begin to walk with God and they begin to align themselves with a kingdom heart, they begin to prosper. It leads to joy. Who? In the righteous. The righteous have joy. But it's not just joy for the righteous. It's actually joy that extends exponentially into the region 
And the city rejoices. How is the city of Campbellsville going to be filled with joy? The righteous have to prosper. And through the blessing of an upright, a city is exalted. Now I want you to look at verse 24 and verse 25. I read those two verses so I could get here. Because I wanted to show you that the blessing of the righteous is essential to seeing our region change. Look at verse 24 and 25. Verse 24 says this, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, I want to tell you something. I personally believe that these two scriptures are massively on the heart of the Lord for our community right now. I think there is important for us as Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. I think they go hand in hand. I almost think they're the same verse. Some of you are like, I don't see that. That's okay. Hang with me. This is, the Lord wants to release radical generosity through righteous people. He wants to release radical generosity through the church so that we can influence our city and cause shouts of joy to be heard in neighboring regions. What I want to tell you this morning is, is Campbellsville hasn't yet even seen a good day compared to what's coming. Verse 24 is so important. And I hope you notice that verse 24, uh, even though books like Psalms and Proverbs are wisdom, and even though books like Psalms and Proverbs are this special kind of literature that's in some ways really unique to the Bible, it's poetic, there's sometimes riddles inside of mysteries, verse 24 is incredibly plain. It's incredibly plain. And I believe that the writer here I believe that Solomon wrote verse 24 so plain for a reason. I believe he wrote it so plain and so direct because it runs against everything you've ever been taught, everything you've ever seen, and everything you've ever experienced. If you want to get more, give it away. That runs against everything we've ever heard, experienced, or known, especially in America. How do you, how do you increase in more? Well, you give it away. And if you hold it, you lose it. This is how the kingdom of heaven works. How many of you have ever run out of something? Anybody ever run out? Anybody ever run out of gum? Anybody ever run out of gas? I was telling the first service, like when my wife runs out of gas, she won't even call me anymore. She just calls my dad. Because she runs out of gas all the time. I'll give her money every single morning, every single Monday morning. Babe. This is your gas money. Please put gas in your car. She won't. She just runs out of gas. And she'll call my dad. My dad bails her out two or three times a year. My dad actually keeps a little gas tank in the toolbox of his truck. And it's Heather's gas tank. (laughs) Maybe a little more serious. How many people have ever run out of money? How many of you have had less money than you had months? That's hectic, isn't it? That's awesome. If you haven't experienced that, you will. (sighs) Encouraging words from Pastor Adam. (laughs) You're going to run out of money someday. Well, I don't like that, Pastor. Yeah, but I'm convinced that Solomon wrote verse 24 for us so directly because 
it's the opposite of the way we've seen life work out. But there's something at work here. It's hidden. And I want to redirect this because we've also had this experience. How many of you have ever given away knowledge or expertise? Anybody ever done that? Let me say it this way. How many of you have ever taught somebody something? What happens when you give away knowledge, expertise, and you teach people? You actually grow in knowledge, expertise, and what you're able to teach. Why? Because when you teach, you will eventually run smack dab into the limits of your capacity and what you actually know. It's one of the great mysteries of teaching and giving away expertise and knowledge. As you give it away, you will run out. As you give it away, someone will ask you something that you never considered, and now you are in their shoes. The teacher became the learner. The teacher became the student. And now we're humbled again, and we're in a position of being needy and needing more answers. And it's in this place of humility that God can come alongside and give more because it says... The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And so the way to get more is to actually give it away. Giving moves invisible barriers, and it does war with invisible spirit forces in the spirit. Um, see, lack of generosity is a hoarding spirit And it's evidence that a person has completely missed the point of life. Hoarding comes from the lie that a person has been entirely responsible for themselves up to this point and will be beyond. Hoarding comes from this belief that everything I've got is, I've got it because I did it. The truth is, to the degree that we have or to the degree that we don't have, God has been good to every single person. And no one, no matter how successful, has what they have because they were bigger, badder, smarter, more strategic, better looking, slightly taller. Everyone has what they have because God is incredibly good and has been kind and generous to everyone. And so when we become hoarders, when we become people who hold on too tight, the question becomes, where is God and where is worship? Because in that scenario thankfulness is absent and by the way thankfulness is reality what is reality thankfulness is reality god has helped me i didn't do it but i didn't get everything i have because i'm strong i got ahead in life because god is kind that's reality and when we miss this we miss the reason for being born we miss the reason for being alive bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights Uh, i'm reminded of abraham God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, leave your father and mother. By the way, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you like crazy. You're going to have more kids than you can count in the skies. I'm going to bless you. And the reason I'm going to bless you is so that you can be a blessing. See, that's the point of life. The point of life is to be blessed by God so that I can be a blessing. That's the reason you exist. And then look at verse 25. This is so key. I love the beginning of verse 25. It says, A generous person will prosper. Again, this goes against everything that we've ever heard. A generous person will prosper. Most of us in the room believe that you prosper and then you become generous. No. In the kingdom of heaven, you're generous and it leads to prosperity. In the kingdom of heaven, you become generous and it leads to prosperity. Uh, By the way, this is hard, but it's really good news. 
it's hard because it's delayed. Can you see the delay in verse 25? A generous person will be prosperous, will prosper. That's future-oriented. It's a hard word because there's a delay in it. And everybody in here wants to prosper yesterday. And the Bible says that you can prosper sometime later. And it's aggravating. It's a hard word. But it's a good word. And the reason it's good is because of this. It, it's a starting point for every single person in the room. You don't have to get it together to be generous. Being generous gets it together for you. It's a starting... You can be really poor and be generous. You can have very little and be generous. You can be totally shipwrecked and begin to get it together. You can be at the end of your rope and still have more. So generosity ends up being one of the ways that we get it together in life. And by the way, when the Bible talks about prosperity, it's not just talking about money. It's talking about wellness and wholeness all the way down to the center of your being. I want to show you something here in the scripture. Verse 24, we see this. When a person gives freely, they gain more. When they withhold unduly, they come to poverty. I want you to understand that when a person comes to poverty, they were actually poor in spirit way before that. When a person's life comes to ruin, it's evidence on the outside of what was resident on the inside, usually for years. When a person's life shipwrecks, it's evidence on the outside of what's been driving and energizing the inside, usually for years. And so generosity, you know, we're looking for prosperity all around us in terms of joy, in terms of money, in terms of relationships, in terms of knowing and being known. That's all external stuff. It all begins internal. This is all internal. And generosity is one of the keys in the kingdom to having the internal side of who you are purified, changed, and renewed. It will eventually manifest itself in a different life on the outside. It's internal, external. The kingdom of heaven is always small, insignificant, and hidden, internal, leading to external scene. It is never external working back into the internal. And one of the things that we've duped ourselves into believing is that we can have something on the outside fix us on the inside. We can't. We need kingdom seed. We need a little bit of yeast to go through the whole lump of dough. God is always working in small. We're looking for big. God's loving small. When he sent his son Jesus, he didn't send 33-year-old Jesus with balls of fire in his hands like this. He sent 8-pound, 8-ounce baby Jesus. Ricky Bobby had it right. Like the Lord knows. The Lord knows. He's into small. He didn't didn't plant the biggest tree in the garden. He gave a little tiny mustard seed, knowing that it would become the biggest tree in the garden. The Lord's into tiny. He's into interior. He's into insignificant. He's into overlookable. I don't even know if that's a word. And there's something about generosity that heals. It heals the heart. It touches us all the way down to motivations. Here's the thing. It touches us all. A generous person is a person who is generous, not just on the outside, it's on the inside. You, you can't give away who you are on the outside without being that on the inside. It deals with competition. It deals with selfishness. It deals with trust. It deals with thankfulness. And it, and it comes and it offends our independent spirit. And this morning, one of the things the Holy Spirit is asking of us is He's asking us for a bigger generosity. Here's what I mean by bigger generosity. How many of you realize that you can be generous with more than money 
The Holy Spirit is asking this group of people to be people who are, who are moving in bigger generosity, who are moving with uh, generosity in terms of encouragement. You can, be, you can be generous or you can be stingy with encouragement. If you want to be encouraged, you need to be an encourager. How many of you uh, can think back to the, a few key people who have really changed your life? Can I tell you something that's, in, that's, that's the same for all of those people? They were encouragers. You were bankrupt. You were shot emotionally. You were shot physically. You didn't believe in yourself, and someone came alongside you and said, you know what, I just believe in you so much. I love you so much. Like, I know that you're broken, but I, I just care about you. That has changed more people in this room than anything else. Encouragement. And God's asking us to be people who are generous with encouragement. He's also asking us to be generous with time and with skills. He's asking us to be generous with help. And then he's also asking us to be generous with money. Generous. Encouragement. Time. Help. Skills. Money. These are the things that we can, that we can affect change with. When I read the list there, encouragement time, help, skills, money. One of those probably pricks your heart and bugs you. One of those probably is trouble for you. One of those probably scares you, and that's the exact spot where you need to begin. Some of us in the room are like, you know what? I will, I will, give, you, I will give you time. I will give you energy. I will train you in my skills. Just keep your hands off my money. And if you're that person, the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to sell your money. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a ruined heart that will eventually poison your ability to give your time, encouragement, and skills away. Others of us in the room are like, dude, if we can solve it with a check, show me where to sign and show me how much you want. Just get away from me. The truth is, your pastor is that person. I've lived 34 years going, can we just solve this with money and get them out of here? confessional time with pastor adam (laughs) yeah where where is the area that pricks your heart which which one of those scare you that's an indicator where to start because the lord's asking us for a bigger generosity here's why the reason he's asking us for a bigger generosity is because we're, we're actually called to change our town. Um, Campbellsville is wide open with opportunity. It's wide open with opportunity. It is so ripe. I can't even believe it. It's so ripe. It's so ripe for new ideas. It's so ripe for people to stop doing what they've always thought they had to do and start doing the thing they, they always most wanted to do. It's so ripe for people to break out of super religious mindsets that say if you love God you have, you're a pastor and if you really love God you become a missionary or a church planter well, can I tell you something you can really love God and be a millionaire banker yeah it's true it's totally true see we have oftentimes done the math with God like this that, that God is asking me to do the thing I most hate oh man Jesus isn't torturing you like that uh, the devil is the devil would love to get you just like totally discouraged and living a life doing things you hate for the rest of your life he would, that's the devil and by the way 
so you don't think I'm just preaching some sort of like pie-in-the-sky prosperity gospel, this doesn't mean you're going to have no troubles. The truth is you're going to have all kinds of troubles. Jesus said in this life you're going to have trouble. The thing is, how many of us are living with a dream that's bigger than any amount of trouble or opposition? Like everybody in here is going to encounter trouble whether you have a dream or not. But do you have a dream that's bigger than trouble? That's the main thing. Oh my gosh. See, we're called to change our town. We're called to bring encouragement. We're called to bring kingdom realities into dark places. Uh, This is a bit of a proclamation I just want to make to you guys over our town. See, poverty, drugs, injustice, and failure to thrive are not allowed to be the descriptors of our town going forward. Those are illegal. What would it look like, this is the question, what would it look like if our whole region prospered? What would it look like if our whole region prospered? What would it look like if every place you went in three counties was filled with joy? Like real joy, like like atmospheres of hope. How many of you have ever experienced this? You drive in your car and you come into a new town and suddenly you're just like depressed. Like you're like, I was happy this morning and now I'm not happy. What happened? You drove into a ruling spirit. How awesome would it be if our region, when people drove through Taylor County, they just all suddenly had dreams and felt like they could do anything. Like they don't even know why. They don't even believe in Jesus. In fact, they think Jesus is the problem. They're like, you know what? They're like, you know what? I hate Jesus. I totally hate Jesus. But every time I go to Campbellsville, I feel like I can do anything. What would... Come on with that. Come on with that. What would it be like if people just got hope by being around other people who lived here? Like, you're not even here. You go and visit your, like, cousins that you don't even like that much in Washington, D.C. And when you show up with your cousins you don't even like that much, who you are... And the open heaven that lives around you and the thoughts that you have and the encouragement that you live in and the hope that you carry jumps on them and pretty soon they're the cousins you like. See, one of the things I feel like that God is wanting to release into our region is He wants to release a Goshen anointing. Um, Do you guys remember Goshen in the book of Exodus? So in the book of Exodus, the children of Israel were held hostage by the Egyptians. And Goshen is where the people of Israel lived inside of Egypt. And so when the plagues, when the Lord released plagues against Egypt, it hit all over Egypt except Goshen. And so when darkness came upon Egypt, there was light in Goshen. And when flies came upon Egypt, there were no flies in Goshen. And when the death angel passed through Egypt, there was only life in Goshen. I'm convinced that Taylor County and the surrounding counties have a call to be Goshen where no matter what the economic storms are, no matter what's going on, no matter how dark, no matter what's going on in Washington, we care, but we don't totally care because we got Goshen. Like, are you kidding me? There's expanding light. There's more. It's like, okay, bless them. Dude, whatever, man. It's great here. I don't know. Come on. Hello. See, generosity is a key because the scripture says that the generous will prosper. Generosity is a key because what we're dealing with in our region is poverty and a poverty spirit. It's over the whole state of Kentucky. What we're dealing with is a spiritual battle and generosity is a key because it sows into the future. You will not be generous where there is no hope. 
You will not be generous where there is no hope. You will not be generous where you believe there is no future. And so God is wanting to release a future, a hope and a future. It's who He is. Everywhere Jesus shows up, hope and future comes around Him. So what if we sowed into the future of our entire region? See, this is the place where our authority and our responsibility coalesce, right here. We keep trying to give away our authority to Washington where we have no responsibility. That's a formula for being depressed. The kingdom solution is to pick up authority where you have responsibility and to listen to the master. That's what the Lord's asking us to do this morning. He's asking us to live with generosity. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come on up?